Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning and welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm glad to see you here. My name is Bruce and I'm one of the associate pastors on staff here. And I've been absent from church the past two Sundays because my family and I went on a vacation to Washington. We stayed on the Pacific Coast and we were in a small beach town with some extended family. And it was great. And now I'm really glad to be back because when I'm gone from church, especially if it's two Sundays in a row, it just feels like a really long time. And I miss being a part of this group here. I've actually been looking forward to Sunday. So I'm excited to be here. And today we're starting a brand new message series called Come and See. And this phrase is a reference to a statement that's repeated in the Bible when people had interest in coming to learn about Jesus. And I've been very excited about this topic because it revolves around stories of people who are introduced to Jesus, which for me is one of the most energizing and compelling aspects of the whole Bible. In fact, helping people make sense of Jesus uh, has been the heartbeat of this church since it began. And and it didn't start that way for me personally, though. Actually, the first half of my life, my faith was very personal and it was very private. I didn't really know how to talk with people about Jesus. And even just the thought of it was intimidating to me. And actually, I wasn't really all that great about talking to anybody about anything. <laughs> being, making conversation and being a social conversationalist is something, is a skill I've had to learn as an adult, and it's been hard. Uh, but in the years that I've spent walking more closely with God, He's really helped me to see things in a much richer light. I've begun to realize more and more just how much I've been rescued from. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think I've even fully grasped that, but I, I'm aware more of how much Jesus has done to rescue me. And, and knowing that, I live now with a relatively high level of stability in life. And I live with an enduring hope through a lot of the ups and the downs that happen in life. And I live with an even greater hope knowing what's to come when my life here on earth is over. And, and just even just singing that last song, knowing that my Father has a place for me and that it's, it's safe for me. And it's going to be a good and incredible thing. And so I have a lot of enduring hope in my life as a result of what Jesus has done. And one of the statements that has lodged permanently in my mind comes from Ephesians 2.12 and it it describes people who do not know or follow Jesus and describes them as separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. And this right here is a condition that I can't bear to imagine personally. The thought of being without any enduring, lasting, foundational hope in life is a horrible thought. And so all all that combined, a fresh fire was lit in me to start talking with people about Jesus, to invite them to come and see who he is. And Jesus has completely changed my life. And I I would love to be a part of helping other people learn more about him so that they can encounter Jesus for themselves. And I began giving it a try. A few years back, I started taking this more seriously. And and so my first few attempts at trying to talk to people about Jesus were pretty feeble. Uh, There was one guy I was starting to get to know. Uh, from a softball team that I was on with a few other men from our church. And this guy started coming around. We got to meet him on the team. Uh, we'd start hanging out, uh, going to restaurants, or we'd play video games. <laughs> this was before I had kids. And uh, he uh, and a lot more responsibility. <laughs> and uh, so we were getting to know each other. And just the friendship was building. There was trust building there. And we were playing pool one time. He and I was playing pool. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll give this a try. I'll just... I'll just find out if he wants to learn more about Jesus. And and this is such a big, important part of my life. And I think there's trust there. And I think he'd be interested and want to know more. And so we're playing pool. 
And I say, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of uh, people saying that they're Christian and, and use this word about Christianity. And uh, it sometimes can get confusing, but the Bible has a really clear definition about what it means to be a Christian. Would you be interested in, in learning what that is? And without even looking up, he just said, nope. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was wrong. Uh, eight ball, corner pocket. <laughs> like, Let's just keep playing. I'll just try to smooth this out. And what I discovered is that People respond in different ways. People aren't factory produced. I have to remember that the people in my life are wrestling through their faith journey in different ways. In fact, different people have different obstacles as they encounter Jesus. And this is what this new series is all about. In the Bible, you can see different profiles emerge of people that met Jesus for the first time. And we're going to examine some of these profiles in a particular book of the New Testament of the Bible called the Book of John or the Gospel of John. And we're going to see different people interacting with Jesus, um, representing people that you might encounter today. And so the story that we're going to focus on this morning involves a few men that appear to have a pretty trusting friendship. And really, good relationships run on trust and goodwill. You've, I'm sure, experienced this. If if you're in a relationship with somebody and there's not trust there, or there's not goodwill, uh, uh, that, that relationship either breaks up, or it's fake, or it doesn't work, it doesn't last over time, Uh, Our relationships run on trust and goodwill. In fact, the more that you trust a friend, the more you allow yourself to be influenced by them. And so because of the influence of your friends, it's possible you may have watched a movie or a Netflix show that you wouldn't normally have made time for, uh, but your friend recommended it and you wanted to give it a try. Or maybe you went to go try at a restaurant you hadn't heard of, but your friend recommended it and you 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 felt compelled to go. It's normal that we get advice from our friends and we choose to be influenced by them. I grew up in upstate New York, and so there's a lot of parts of California that I have yet to explore and experience, and so whenever I go to a new part of the West Coast, I usually ask my friends for advice about where to go and what to see, you know, in in this or that city, what are the cool things to do, and so a few summers ago, my my wife and I went to Avila Beach, which is on the central coast of California, really beautiful area, and so I had a few friends tell me, since you're going to be driving right past Pismo Beach, you have to get clam chowder at Splash Cafe. And so I looked into it, and, and, I, and sure enough, this appears to be like a landmark restaurant there. It's famous for its clam chowder, and so we decided to make it our very first stop in the area. And so we found this tiny little shack. Here's a picture of it. And uh, when we got there, there was a line out the door and around the building, just like you see in this picture here. So we got in it, and my friends had told me ahead of time, if you're going to do it right, you've got to get it with the seafood topping which is like little pieces of ocean animals crumbled up on top. I can't, I can't, I can't remember what it is. I'm, I'm not a huge seafood guy. I do love fried fish. But anyways, we, we got the chowder. And, uh, and in fact, I ordered fish, but it wasn't really that good. It, it was the clam chowder truly was amazing. And, you know, after I was hearing about this from my friends leading up to this, I, I was eager to experience this world-renowned clam chowder. They serve, I found this out, they serve 30,000 gallons of clam chowder every year. So... And look how big the restaurant is. It's tiny. And so anyway, because I trusted my friends and I trusted their input and their experience, I, w- I would have gone out of my way just to find out what all the commotion was about. And I think we've all been the promoter for different things in life, different experiences. I mean, what restaurants have you been known to promote? Or maybe you've watched an incredible movie and you couldn't stop talking about it for days and your friends were t- tired of hearing about it. Uh, or it could be something like a cooking gadget or an app on your phone, or a family doctor, or or there's these things that you experience that you enjoy that impact you in a positive way, and you use your influence with your friends to promote a new experience to them. 
And again, good relationships run on trust and goodwill. So how have you used your trust to compel people to try new things? I had another friend who told me at one point, the next time you make s'mores at a campfire, you have to replace the chocolate with a Reese's peanut butter cup. It will change your life. <laughs> and I thought that seemed like a pretty bold promise to make. But I like Reese's and I like life change, so I gave it a try. <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, but many of us have had experiences that have truly changed our lives for the better. And that's beyond s'mores, beyond the restaurants, beyond the movies and the gadgets. Your life has been changed by really big experiences. It could be something like becoming a parent or, or getting married. Or maybe your life was changed in a positive way because you persevered through a really difficult situation in life. Or maybe you've gone on an overseas missions trip to another country and, and seeing what life was like there impacted you in a positive way and you came back talking about that. Or, or maybe you went to a conference where your perspective on life was shifted in a very valuable way. Or if you've been around our church for a while, maybe you've gotten to experience the heart attitudes, which are the core biblical values for relationships here at our church. When it comes to the truly meaningful, life-altering experiences, the more that you've been impacted positively, the more you're compelled to share about it with other people. So very often what you see happening is that God uses changed lives to change lives. As God brings good and positive change into our lives, we can then become a bridge for other people to learn about and then even experience the good things we've experienced. And this is a dynamic that we see played out twice in the very first chapter of John, which is where we'll turn now. And so we're going to start this story learning about a guy named Andrew. Andrew began hearing great things about Jesus. He heard Jesus was supposedly the Son of God uh, and probably, possibly, a really important historical figure that he and his friends have been waiting for for a very long time. His parents and his grandparents and generations of people have been waiting for this figure for a very long time and, and this guy might be it. Jesus might be it. So finally, one day, Jesus walks by Andrew and this is before Jesus had any disciples or followers uh, and Andrew, knowing that I just, he said, I got to learn more about this guy. I, I, he had a desire for life change that hadn't been satisfied in any other situation in life yet. He had, so, so he and another disciple boldly walk up to Jesus. And here's where we pick it up in verse 38. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And, and so Rabbi, the, you know, this means teacher, but it's a title of respect and honor. And so they, were, they approached Jesus very respectfully. And this question, where are you staying, is, is not, you know, not what hotel you're going to be in tonight, just out of curiosity. They, they were actually courteously requesting an interview with Jesus to spend, you know, spend time with him. And here's the answer Jesus gave. Come and see, he said. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Come and see. This was the friendly invitation that Andrew was hoping for. This is, this is what he wanted. He was, he's eager to have some of his questions answered. And as they sat with Jesus for the rest of the day, I would love to have known what that conversation was like. I mean, it's not recorded in the Bible at all, and so, so we don't know. But just imagine, Jesus hadn't really begun his ministry yet. This is the first time he's really talking to someone directly about the amazing things that are about to happen. And he's got, you know, they've got all evening with him. Imagine what that could have been like. What was that conversation like for the first time to talk to Jesus about this stuff? Whatever he said, it was enough to fully persuade Andrew that he indeed was the Son of God and the long-awaited Savior. 
And we know that because of what it says next. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And, and so Andrew is brothers to Simon, who later becomes Peter. And, and, and Andrew, he's not content to just deliver the news or just let him know, hey, we found this guy. He actually brings Peter to Jesus himself. And so clearly, Andrew had a position of trust and influence with his brother. And, and really what he became was a bridge for the good news of Jesus to travel to Peter. And Andrew, what's interesting about him, he's mentioned two other times in the Gospel of John. And in both cases, he's bringing someone to meet Jesus. And so he's known as a bringer or, or a bridge person. And he's not the only one. The next person we meet in this story is Philip. In verse 43 it says, The next day, uh, which is the next day after Andrew found Peter, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and then finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And so now we meet Philip, and we don't have the whole dialogue here, but uh, Philip learns about Jesus and then quickly becomes one of his followers. And Philip, you know, like Andrew, he just can't keep the good news to himself. He can't keep this thing a secret. He just immediately goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You can already see the excitement here. You know, Philip is using the word we. <laughs> he's already included himself as one of Jesus' followers here. He, he's, he's in. And so here's the response. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks. And so, you know, you can easily pick up on the skeptical vibe here. Uh, Nathaniel would have assumed that Nazareth was a very insignificant place. It hadn't been, so it wasn't really on the map. It hadn't been mentioned in the Old Testament. None of the prophets or Moses. Nobody, nobody was really talking about Nazareth at all. In fact, uh, a lot of people looked down on the people that lived there. It, it's possible even Nathaniel uh, had some animosity towards people there. And so he's thinking, why in, the, why in the world? This doesn't even make sense that Jesus would be coming from there. And so Philip responds to his friend's blunt, honest question by saying, Come and see. Come and see. And so obviously this is an echo of Jesus' reply earlier. But each of these men who became devoted followers of Jesus, they were given the, oppor- the invitation to come investigate for themselves his claims. And Nathaniel does just that. In an in interesting dialogue that's, that's recorded in the following verses, uh, Jesus convinces Nathaniel that he truly is who he says he is. And Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And what's interesting is, initially, Nathaniel didn't trust Jesus, but he did trust his friend. And his skeptical hesitation at first with that, with that question uh, is not, it's an attitude that's not entirely unlike some of the initial responses we get from people today who have the opportunity to come and see for themselves who Jesus is. For some people now, prayer and religion and God is just seen more as a last-ditch effort when things are going really bad. And, and I'll just... Call out to God and see if that, that helps out. In fact, in many popular movies and TV shows today in our, in our culture, in our society, Christianity is often mocked and, and made light of. And the characters that you see as Christians are often portrayed as blundering, foolish, just not with the program, way out in left field, not, not in touch with the reality, kind of like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. Or, or sometimes they're portrayed as hypocritical and, and, or judgmental or irritable, kind of like Angela in The Office. And so culturally, you know, you get to, it leaves you with this impression. It gives you this taste in your mouth of, of Christians or of Jesus. And it leaves people asking the question, why would I ever take Jesus seriously? 
Could any good come from that? And, and what this reveals is that there's still very many who haven't had a direct experience with Jesus for themselves. Perhaps they've talked about the concept of Jesus, but it didn't go much beyond that. And unfortunately, idle speculation is a really poor substitute for personally investigating Christ. And in fact, the church today is designed to be a place where people can come and see who Jesus is. I mean, this church, this body of people right here, gathered on a Sunday like this and gathered in other times throughout the week, this can be an environment for people to make some observations, just to take it all in, to weigh out previous life experiences and, and hold it up into contrast to what's found here, what's talked about here. And if you're here today, and if you've wrestled with some of your own hesitations, maybe some of your own skepticisms and doubts, could it be possible that God is drawing you here today, giving you a chance to investigate who Jesus is for yourself? And, and, and honestly, it actually it makes me wonder, I do wonder, does your experience in this body of people compel you to come back and learn more? I'd, I'd be interested to know. Uh, or how do the things that you hear and observe here, things that are talked about, the way people interact, they relate, how does this experience here compare with some of the challenges and, and the internal uh, desires that you carry week to week? Whatever, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in the process, you're welcome to explore Christianity at your own pace here. And it's our hope, it truly is my hope, that by spending time here with us, that you get to see a lot more of who Jesus really is. And when we look at these stories in the Bible, what we see is that God pre-programmed a system in which people are used to connect others to Jesus, rather than him going direct to each one. You know, God chooses to work through people a lot like bridges. And so think, think about what it would mean to be a bridge. What, what are physical bridges used to do? Uh, on the way from Riverside to the Pacific Beach of Washington, where I took my family vacation a couple weeks ago, we crossed over a great many bridges, and uh, one significant bridge was the Columbia River Bridge. And here's a picture of it. This uh, river is the border between Oregon and Washington. And so after 15 hours of drive time, you can imagine, you know, the, the trip from Riverside to, to where we went was an 18-hour drive. Uh, but if you have small kids like I do, it was way longer than that. <laughs> it was more like three days. Uh, so after about 15 hours of drive time, you can imagine my excitement to finally get into Washington and get over this bridge. It even showed up on my GPS here in Washington. I was like, yes. And then everything was like greener. Every mile it got greener. Every mile it got cooler and just nice. There's bald eagles flying. There's beach and ocean. It was, it was awesome. So I could go back. <laughs> uh, but bridges like this one, uh, they do a few things. A bridge allows you to travel over huge obstacles, like a river, or, like, or gorges, or canyons, or other freeways. And bridges also allow you to travel to places that were previously restricted to you. Uh, I'd never been to Washington. My family had never been, and there was no way I was getting my family through that river except by bridge. <laughs> that river is pretty long, and it, and it divides the states for, a, for quite a while. And so God uses our friendships... And some of our trusted family relationships, like a bridge for the message of Jesus to travel across. And so someone may have a lot of obstacles in their life, preventing them from ever giving Jesus a serious consideration. But if we've built a lot of trust with that person, God's message might easily pass over some of those obstacles. And also, each of us, we have a unique network of relationships. 
So, so in this group here, even people that are seated here, we've got some overlap. You know, we have some friendships. We, we know some mutual people. On Facebook, you can find out how many people you mutually know, and it like, gives you recommendations that way. But every one of us has a totally unique, complete network. Uh, and that's because of your past. It's because of your, where you work and your friendships, your family, all these things. And w- what that means is that we can extend like many bridges into countless pockets of people allowing the good news of Jesus to travel much farther. And so over the years, people have been coming to OCC, and, and little by little this group has grown, and many of the people that come, uh, come not because they had their own isolated interest, but often it's because they knew and trusted someone who already came here. I told you about that friend uh, I had when I was playing pool with, I was trying to, you know, one of my first attempts to share about Jesus, and uh, he, he had no interest in learning more. He and I lost contact for a while. He, he moved, and, and we weren't interacting as much. And a few years later, I was totally surprised when he walked in those doors back there to the a church service here, and he told me with a huge smile on his face, I've become a Christian. And I was like, no way, that's amazing. I was so I was excited. I asked him all the details about it, what happened. And, and, and what went on was that God had used my friends and I at one early part of his faith journey. And then he got connected eventually with another group of Christians that had helped him take his next steps. And, and this, I know there's stories like this. And, and so I'd like to show you a video that helps illustrate this even further. It's a video of three members from our church who decided to become committed followers of Jesus Christ as a result, largely, uh, of their trust that developed with some Christian friends. And as you listen to each of them, uh, notice the way that God used other people as a bridge for the good news to travel over. So take a look right now. CBU was actually someone who goes to OCC. And she and I were in a class called Models of Discipleship together. And before I had gotten to that class, and honestly before CBU, I hadn't even really heard about what it meant to be a disciple. I actually thought it meant something like a deacon or a higher level of leadership within the church. Um, So I had to look it up on Google, to be honest. I really didn't know what it meant um, to be a disciple before I even got to CBU. And when I was in that class, we were in this small group together. And in this small group, we talked about scripture and God's word and even what Jesus has to say about being a disciple. And I heard my friend talking all about how people had invested in her life over the summer. They had really poured into her and discipled her. And in turn, she was really doing the same for other people in her community. And I looked at that and thought, A, I've never heard about these things before. But B, that was something that I deeply wanted. I wanted to make my life count. So we were reading The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and hearing about the gospel in class, all of that combined, but especially my friend's influence, made me really want to explore Jesus more, explore what he has to say about being his follower. And it was shortly after that that I committed wholeheartedly to be Jesus' follower and to commit my entire life to him and to learn from him as his disciple for the rest of my life. Before I became a Christian, I would say that my trust in God was a lot lower than my trust in my Christian friends. I think that God chose to influence me through other people because he's keenly aware of the difficulties I've faced, the experiences I've had, things I've seen, and he knew that that would probably be the most effective way to reach me. I had been um, told about Jesus at a very young age, and 
I believed in him, but the God that I knew was one that was too busy and too far away and one that I um, would just pray to if I was afraid I was going to fail a test or a family member was sick. There were a couple women specifically that really invested in me. They had um, really took out um, time out of their day to give me rides. Um, they had bought me journals, um, devotionals um, to help me um, help with my faith because I had told them that I was a Christian, but I don't think I actually knew what that really meant. At the time, um, God's blessings were more of luck to me. Um, I never really accredited him to any of the thing that he, any of the things that he deserved. And he knew that it was important to me for me to fit in. So I think he used the, those people in my life that I wanted to be more like to show um, God to me and what he really can do and who he actually is. And I'm so grateful that those people um, actually allowed God to use them in that way. Um, they chose to love me, even though they knew that I was a little bit different and probably a little bit difficult, too. Um, and they really um, just let God do the work, and I'm very grateful for that. When I first heard these stories, I was thoroughly encouraged just, just to see the way that God used normal people to help make sense of Christianity for these people. And, and you get a better picture of how God uses changed lives to change more lives. And, and through those trusted friendships, they were able to, to come and see, come and see who God is and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so like me, you may have a compelling desire to become a bridge person for, for the good news to travel to people who need it. And so here are a few ways to do that. One of the first things you can do is build trust. So consider... Who do I have natural contact with already? I mean, what networks of people has God given me access to already? Uh, that, very obviously, that could be coworkers or family members, uh, people at the gym you go to, even in your own neighborhood, and, and ask, okay, now that I know that, could I, can I establish contact with a new group of people? Because I believe God will put you in a position to earn the trust of other people so that you can invite them to come and see who Jesus is. And another way of putting this is Christianity is like electricity. It flows best where there's good contact. The power of God works well right in the middle of relationships where people are interacting and connecting and, 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 and being together. Andrew and Peter were brothers. Philip and Nathaniel were friends. Family relationships and, and friendships are very conducive for the influence of Jesus to flow. But it does take being involved in the lives of other people. It may help you to think about your role in different environments. And when you're in these different quadrants of your life, you can build trust in different ways. Uh, for example, at work, your role could be a pace setter. Uh, if you choose, if you work and interact with people in a kind way, if you're, if you're a kind person to your, to your boss and your coworkers, uh, you can build a lot of trust just doing that or, or just being excellent in your job. If you're one of the best employees at your company, that stands out. That goes a long way. You get a lot of credibility from that. Even being loyal. Loyalty is something that's not all that common in the workplace, especially if there's a lot of complaining and griping. But if you choose to be loyal, even in the midst of that, uh, even if people don't agree, they, they do respect that. Uh, in school, your role could be a booster. Uh, if, you, if your kids go to school, you could, uh, in whatever way you can, work for the good of the school, be a help to the teachers or be a help to the other parents that are there. Or even the way that your own kids interact uh, with, with other kids or with the families can be a way to give you trust and credibility. In the marketplace, meaning places that where you go to shop or, or buy things or think places that you frequent, 
like grocery stores or coffee shops, your role could be a regular, uh, where people are, get used to seeing you there. Uh, and, you, and when you're there, you, if you choose to be respectful uh, and friendly, uh, interacting with people with a smile. You know, sometimes it's even when you're really focused. I'm a focused guy, and a lot of times I'm, I'm either like straight-faced or I'm scowling. <laughs> but so I have to remember, smile. When I'm out, smile. I, I am happy. I just don't look it, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> and so you can do this. This builds trust for people. Um, and in the neighborhood, you can be a host. Maybe your role is, how can I host people on my street or, or in my apartment complex or wherever you live? And, and you can do this by, by being considerate, taking care of your lawn and, and your patio and your furniture, things like that. Uh, being friendly to people, again, smiling, interacting as you, as you come home from work, lending tools, uh, or just the way that your family relates, how your kids respond to you or you treat your kids. Uh, that, that has a lot of potential to build trust. Or if you just in, invite people into your home for dinner or for a meal or for dessert or coffee or allow the kids to play in the yard, you can build trust that way. And so, so building trust really is the first step. Secondly, Cash in your trust. So, so once you've built it, you can cash it in. And one of the ways to do that, in a helpful way, is to share stories about God's faithfulness. And this is often called a testimony. Uh, but what, what it is, you, you can just tell stories about your, your personal experience with God. Why do you even think God is real? What has God done for you recently that you're incredibly grateful for? And, and this is risky. This is a way to cash in your trust because you don't really know how people are going to respond when you start talking about God or even if you use the word Jesus. You know, how are people going to react to that? Or the Bible. And you may think, oh, you know, I just built this trust. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want them to think I'm weird. Or, I don't want them to you know, think oh, I'm, I'm one of those weird people. <laughs> but the truth is, and the more I've thought about this, uh, this idea, I think God is such a huge part of our lives. For, for me personally, he, he is a, a dominating part of my life. And he does so much for me every day. And I spend so much of my time trying to think about him and read the Bible and try to live my life like him. He, he, it's a pretty big part of my life. And for me to not talk about him every day would be weird. It would be weird for me not to talk about God with people that I'm interacting with on, on trusted friendship level. And this really is the one thing that you would want to cash your trust points in on. And you can also cash in by inviting people to come and see. They can, you can invite them to come to a church service. And you, maybe you don't really know how they'd respond to that. It could be a risky thing, and, and you don't know if you're ready to take that. But just cash in. So see what happens. Uh, and this is why we aim to make our church services uh, appealing and understandable. We, we try to design every part of our church service in a way that if you're not used to going to church, you would, you would reasonably be able to make sense out of what's happening here. Uh, and this is why we provide flyers or, or make, do things, you know, fun things like donuts occasionally, things like that to, to make it appealing and give, it a, give people a, an adequate chance to come and see what Jesus is like. Or you can invite them to an event. We have numerous events throughout the year. In fact, the sports camp that we have coming up in a few weeks, uh, this is one of the primary goals behind sports camp is to give people an opportunity to come and connect. So another way that you could help the gospel travel to new people is to support another bridge person. It could be that at the moment, your network of relationships might be low. Uh, maybe the, all the people you're around, everybody you know, it already goes to a church somewhere. But what you could do is you can partner with people who do have friends that, that don't go to church and that don't know who Jesus is and, and, and are interested in investigating. And, and really, it's, it's very exciting to see someone commit their lives to Christ because it opens up a whole new pocket of people. I mean, sometimes... New believers make great bridges because many of their relationships are still outside of the church. And so you can partner with people like that. And then finally, maybe the next step you need to take 
It could be to make Jesus your Lord. Everything starts here. Everything, every good thing that we get from the Lord starts at this step. And perhaps you have come to see. Perhaps you're investigating. You know, you're, you're experiencing more about God, what his people are like. You're learning what he's said in his word, which is the Bible. And today could be the day that you decide to become a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And in turn, become a bridge for his message to travel to new people. And if you'd like more information about really what that involves and, and what that would entail, let us know in your connection card. And in fact, and, and then for all of us, there, there are some additional next steps at the bottom of your listening guide. And in just a moment, our, our team is going to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. The worship team will come back. Uh, but think through a next step. Maybe it is to ask God to connect me with people who don't know Jesus. That could be a prayer that you pray throughout this week. Or you might invite someone to come to an event or a service at OCC. Or you, you could just invite someone to come over to your house and host them. Um, or next step may be to partner with another bridge person. For every one of us, eternity is on the line. There is so much that could consume our focus and our attention day to day. But what could be more important than helping people make the one decision that could last for eternity? I just, I, when we look at these stories in the Bible, I love the simplicity of Andrew and Philip. They found Jesus, they couldn't contain the secret, and they just immediately went to the people that they knew well to share the good news and, and to bring them to Jesus. God has changed our lives. And now he can use us to play a role in tremendous life change for other people. And, and, and to me, it makes sense that God would use our friendships and our trusted family relationships as a bridge for the most important message to travel across. Your network of relationships is already in place. There are people that you interact with on a daily basis. Will you use your influence and trust to bring others to Jesus? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for, for the stories that you gave us in the Bible uh, of how people first began to interact with Jesus. And, and it's, it's compelling and it's amazing and I'm so grateful Lord, for, for what you've done for us. Um, you, you bring such good change into our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us, use this group to, to help other people get the opportunity to experience that same life change from you. Uh, give us boldness and courage this week uh, to share and to step out in the way that you're, you're asking us to do that, Lord. And would you provide the relationships and the trust needed to make an impact for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.